Welcome, listeners, to A Night of Shreds and Patches, an immersive actual play podcast. This episode features the talents of Cameron Robertson as Emma Blackwood, Sydney Whittington as Cassidy Shard, B. Zelda as Professor Jupiter, Nick Robertson as GM and narrator. Hello, listeners. This is your editor, Sydney, with today's messages. It looks like they're still counting ballots for the Audioverse Awards, so we'll continue to keep our fingers crossed and keep hanging out. So in the meantime, drop by our Discord or give us a follow on Twitter and we can swap bad jokes while we wait. And with that, we wrap up today's announcements and head into episode 21, Ballroom Dancing. And so, join us. For now, our tale to yours attaches to carry hope. A night of shreds and patches. Four of you are gathered in the luggage car of the Rondax line. You fought your way here against bandit hijackers, and having learned their plan, decided that you needed to stop them before anyone else got hurt. We see the sparse luggage car with racks and suitcases on either side. Light filters in from the top of the car, painting your faces with illumination and shadow. Are there any, like, I don't know, thin, long cases in this luggage cart? You know, that may appear to be holding weaponry. If you flip me a story point, you can have something disposable. Yeah. Okay. For the cost of a story point, you'll find something that... Do you want a gun or a sword? Either way, it's in a trombone case, so... I open up a trombone case and I find a small dagger. Inside the trombone. Like, there is a trombone in it, but it's in the bell. Yeah, she picks up the trombone and tilts it to the side and a knife falls out. Because that's always how it happens in stories. That's totally how she knew to look there. Cassidy just makes a face at this, like, why? Why would you try to open a trombone case? And then a knife falls out. Because Cassidy knows what a trombone case is. <laughs> You're just getting nothing but enthusiastic thumbs up from Monet. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cassidy also is looking back and making angry eyes at Modem, who is too far behind. I assume he's staying at a safe distance, but he's so out of it from uh, whatever he's doing. Yeah, he's been strolling so far, but from the face that you're making at him, he walks up close and he looks at Emma and he says, Oh, the old knife in the trombone trick. Good looking out, child. Cassidy, did you need me for something? Combat is not normally my forte. 
No, you just need to stay close because you said you didn't want to die. I will stay closer. I was attempting to stay in cover, and I thought the train had been cleared to this point, but I... It had been cleared, but remember when we saw rocket engines pulling up to the side? Don't be like three cars back. Noted, and thank you for your concern. And Cassidy starts moving towards the door. It, uh, oh, okay. So what is the deal? Like, did you just pay them a bunch of money so they can kind of keep you alive and then you hang out? Is this something that's an offer on the table? I would hope that you would not attempt to outbid me. I mean, I'm thinking about it. I am a betting person. He squints at you for a second and says, I paid for passage. They were headed this direction anyway, and I needed someone to travel with. I, I must report some new findings to the Adventia. Knowledge is our pursuit, and he stares off into space for a second, then shakes his head. Plus, I enjoy not getting shot. Which is why I, yeah, you know, you're giving me a lot to think about. How about you and I hang out? Just, we'll hang back a little bit. How does that sound? We'll be a little bit safer back here. If that is what you wish, then we can stay where it is safe. For I, being a man of knowledge, do not fear being called a coward. I do not fear the scorn and hatred of others as they learn that I avoided danger. And surely you as an academic also do not have any reputation upon which you must hang yourself so that you can function, being also admired. Cassidy is leaning against the wall in the front of the cab with Emma drumming her fingers. <laughs> Wait, why do you think I'm an academic? Oh, because I have professor in my name. Right, right. Um, you know what? On second thought, I'm going to go hang out with those two. Modem just shakes his head. And as you're walking away, I thought it was polite to assume your cover story still stood. I mean, I'm not doing the professor accent anymore. But yeah, no, you stay true to you, Modem. I am always true to me for I oh, gosh. am a member wow, of the Ad back on this person. And you, you all walk away as he ducks behind some luggage, still pontificating to himself. He looks kind of smug, having gotten everyone to write him off and leave him alone. That maybe that's what he wanted, was for people to leave him alone as like just a crazy old Advantia guy. Also, as a reminder, he's like 35. So you all are by the door. There are obviously people on the other side. And Cassidy's impatience to get the door open. She is listening because she's just trying not to listen to Modem. There were angry voices on the other side. It's hard to make out exactly what they're saying because it's a door, that long connecting walkway and another door. But you can tell that there's a disagreement and it sounds like it's not necessarily escalating to violence. But based on the snippets you're hearing, some of them are not sure how to go forward with whatever plan they're supposed to do. And they're arguing about what to do next. Cassidy, you kind of look like the one who's in charge here. Could you maybe give me some guidance? Because like I my, my skill set's very limited. Like you, you need money. I, I got money. I can knit that up in a stitch. But um, if you need literally anything else, I don't know what to do. Stay by him. And Cassidy points over at Modem. No, 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 you cannot make me do that. He's gonna be safe. You know he's gonna be safe. I mean, I can talk my way out of getting shot. I'm not worried about that. I just don't know how to talk myself out of getting an entire train bomb disarmed. Well, we're going to talk ourselves forward into the cab and we're going to keep talking with this. And Cassidy gestures with Monet's revolver 
until there's not a problem anymore. Yeah, wow, wow, that's probably a really solid solution. I never thought of... Do you just, like, pull the trigger and then it works? This is your gun. I've never used it. Look at it, it's terrifying. Terrifying. And Cassidy rolls it in her hand and looks at the nice, pretty engravings down the side of this thing. It's overly fancy. I chose it because it looked good. It does look good. Monet's going to swish their long hair. I, uh, okay, I, I'm ready. I'm just going to, like, hang out behind Emma. Emma, are you good? Emma has just been kneeling next to the lock on this door to open it and has now leaned back to where she's sitting on her heels, has both of her hands crossed on top of the baseball bat and has her head resting on it, just waiting for everyone to finish talking so she can open the door. Yeah, you look good. Okay. And little step right behind you. All right. Ready. You good, Cassidy? Yep. Let's do it. All right. Emma opens the door. The door slides open. There's another walkway and the other door is open so you can see into the car. It looks like some sort of engineering car and there's a group of six bandits. They all have handkerchiefs pulled down around their necks. They've clearly been arguing. There's an assortment of hats. One of them even appears to be wearing armor and they're all armed, some with long knives, one with a rifle, a couple with pistols. And they all turn in unison as the door swings open and are peeking through this other door. You all get a moment of staring at each other. Emma and Professor Jupiter had been to the side of the door that had the lock to the side so that they didn't get in Cassidy's way as she did the sweep. So if anyone is standing out in the open, it's just Cassidy. How long is this hallway? It's probably like six feet. It's just a connector between the two cars and there's a door. So like some of them are in cover on either side of the door, but you can see into it and you can see people. So Emma had been crouched down to the side of the door, unlocks it, quickly tucks the lockpick into her hair and then has the baseball bat hugged against her chest as she's kneeling down and then pulls out the gun that Cassidy said had a better chance of going off and had prepped waiting for Cassidy to motion that it was okay to go into the tunnel. And then the door opens and Cassidy doesn't move immediately, but also isn't shooting anyone immediately. So Emma peeks around the side of the door and sees that the other one is already open and goes, eek, and shoots down the hallway. Roll me a story die, please. One fortune dot. Okay, so the gun goes off. Go ahead and make me a ranged attack at easy difficulty because they're unsuspecting yeah i'm aiming in general down the hall who knows if there's a person where i'm aiming but a success and two advantages okay so you hit one of the guys who's holding a pistol he's standing next to a what looks like a large engine that has had additional stuff bolted to the side. And you hit him in the chest and he just drops. Drops his pistol, collapses to the ground, is holding where it's bleeding, and is completely out of this fight. And I need you all to roll initiative for me. Emma doesn't see that happen because she ducked back around the side of the door as soon as she shot. Yeah, and I think Cassidy is expecting it, but she's expecting it because she's expecting the Patina to lead off. It happens, so she doesn't think too hard about it. Her reflexes are there to go, yeah, that makes sense. But it was Emma, and it wasn't done in the same way, because there was a squeak. 
I got a success. I got two advantages. Two successes. I need you to roll me two yellow die, Cameron. Four advantages. Roll me a yellow and a green. Two advantages. And roll me two yellows and a green. Three successes. Okay. So the order is going to go an NPC slot, a PC slot, a PC slot, a NPC group, the last PC slot, and then one more NPC. Just so y'all know what the combat is, there is a group of minions. A pistol guy and the two knife guys are operating as a unit. And then rifle guys working independently and shotgun guys working independently. So that guy drops. You all lock eyes for just a second and bullets and weapons start to fly as people start to dive for cover and attack each other. So first up, one of the guys with a rifle dives into cover and from there takes a shot at Cassidy because he identified very quickly that that was the... Cassidy is still the one that's watching this angle with Emma having ducked back behind. So she's the one that's most visible from cover, and he's going to take a shot at her. You do have cover, so that's black die added to the shot. Yeah, and I'm going to take another strain to sidestep again, so I'll add one more difficulty on whatever he's done. And he's going to aim. He ducked into cover. That's his maneuver. That's fine. He'll be in cover. Whatever. An advantage. Uh, so the bullet pings off of the train car doorway. Cassidy, you duck back. The doorway is very thick metal, and you see him curse and duck back behind part of the engine and cycle a bolt and load another cartridge. And next up is a PC slot. Cassidy's going to shoot someone. Okie dokie. Bullets were flying. Emma shot first. Cassie is prepared to immediately follow up with apparently Emma shooting first. So who is not in cover? Shotgun guy and then the group of mooks. Yeah, they're not in cover. They're further back in the room. They're at medium range, but they're not actively ducked behind stuff. It's just sort of an awkward angle is the thing because you're shooting from a doorway through another doorway. Gotcha. So the rifle guy is closer, but in cover. Rifle guy is further back. He ducked back when he got into cover. He's back behind the engine. So who's closest? The pistol and knife mooks. Okay. Then, yeah, Cassidy's going to shoot for the pistol guy in that group. Okay. It's going to be medium range. Okay. She's going to stay in the doorway and aim. So I'm rolling two yellows, two greens, two purples, and a blue. Three successes and two advantages. How much damage is that? Seven damage, crit three, pierce two. So it's seven plus the three is ten. Okay, you actually can shoot two of them if you would like. What happens is, again, Cassidy's going for center of mass. They're not super far away, and this is still an unfamiliar gun, but she's feeling more comfortable having shot it at least once, being successful that first time. So she goes for center of mass on the pistol guy because he is the most immediate threat because he can shoot. So she hits this guy and he spins as the bullet hits him a little bit off center. And he spins and then in his shock and maybe lack of discipline, he pulls the trigger on his gun and shoots one of the guys next to him. And both of them drop, and the third guy's left looking at his ally who just killed his other ally, and he's not having a good day. And up next is another PC slot. 
Monet's getting a feel that we're falling into a bit of a pattern, whether it's noticeable or not. So Monet stands up, rolls a shoulder, rolls the other one, cracks their neck, cracks their fingers, and then steps out into the threshold. And with a slight clearing of their throat, they begin. Well, 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 what do we have here? Seems like a lot of your allies are getting their fucking asses kicked. Is there perhaps something we can do to let you survive? And they'll look over at the, what, two surviving? Three. Two well-armed ones and one dude splattered in his friend's blood with a knife. And this is a lot of posturing, too. Hands on hips, chest puffed out, head held high. They have no weapons. Who needs weapons when you have bluster? So uh, what are you three here going to do? You want to run for your lives? You want to spill your guts? Or do you want to have your guts spilled? Roll me a coercion check at hard difficulty with a black die because their adrenaline is super up. So they don't necessarily want to talk to you right now. But also with two blue die because this is a social check. Also, I might recommend flipping a story point to upgrade your check. I would also like to use my advantages to roll a blue die forward. All right, rolling. One failure, three threats. Okay, so you notice that the guy that was holding the shotgun is someone that you recognize. You had originally just seen their outlines because of the light from outside the train. And as you step into their train car to threaten them into surrendering, you see a large guy. He's also wearing a tweed suit, kind of like yours. He's got large ginger mutton chops and is balding on top. And he has a shotgun pointed straight at you. And he says, what do you know? It's Monet. They owe me so much money. Get them, boys. And they go to shoot you (laughs) with a shotgun. It's going to be a yellow and two greens, Cameron, at average difficulty. And I would say with a blue die because of all those threats, because Monet kind of bet it all on this one and is flat-footed. We have one advantage and a triumph, but no success. It doesn't hit. We get the shot... Monet's suit coat flaps wide, pellets scatter through it, sunlight is going through all of the holes in the coat, but none of them hit. They just shred the sides of your clothes. The Triumph, Ginger Mutton Chops guy, looks towards his remaining compatriots and says, well, boys, I guess the decision's been made for us, and hits a big red button on the thing that's been bolted to the engine, and you start to hear a digital beeping as something is counting down. Mutton Mike, you didn't. Oh, Monet, I did. And he smiles at you, and you can see he only has four teeth that are hanging from the top of his gums. It's a gross smile. And he cocks his shotgun threateningly, and it is another PC slot. So there's one knife guy, mutton chops, and the rifle dude. Yep. And so Rifle Dude is hiding by the gun. Mutton Chops just pressed a button, so I assume he's over there as well. Yep. And then where's Knife Dude's just chilling? He's to the side of the doorway, closer to y'all than the other two. Oh, Emma needs to get to that bomb. Emma takes off down the hallway and comes in swinging and goes to hit a home run on the knife guy's head. All right. 
That's two purples for a melee attack. Yep. Hopefully aiming it toward he gets hit and falls towards the other dudes. A success, a threat, and a triumph. Do you want to crit on this guy? Or you could use that triumph for other stuff. How much damage do you do? I do five damage. Okay, so you could take that guy out without using the triumph. So Emma has taken off down the hallway, is holding the bat with her hands in the correct grip, but has it to the side as she's running. And then as she crosses the threshold into the other car, slides a bit. And then as she's sliding, takes a proper baseball form for a swing and then swings towards stomach of the knife guy, actually. So he just collapses in half and cannot breathe because all of the wind just got knocked out of him. Yeah, and he's totally down. And continue sliding and is then over by the bomb. <laughs> what was the triumph? Yeah. If you want to save it for the check being much easier when you disarm the bomb. Yeah. They very much did not put any contingency planning into this raid at all. So it is incredibly simple to turn the bomb off once she gets over there because they were not anticipating anyone getting to it and having the chance to try to turn it off. Yeah, the bomb seems pretty simple. It doesn't have an off button, but it doesn't have fake wires or trigger detonators or any of the stuff that what you would imagine would make disarming a bomb harder. You've never done this before. And then also with the Triumph, you're in cover on the other side of the bomb, and these two remaining guys are not going to shoot at you because there's a high explosive between them and you. So you're safe for now, unless they change position. Next up would be an NPC slot, but they're dead. So next is another NPC slot, and it's the rifle guy, and he sights down his rifle again and <laughs> takes a shot at Monet, who is still crouched in the doorway. And frankly, they can't really see Cassidy behind Monet because Monet's taking up the whole doorway, so... Yeah, did Monet freeze getting shot at, or is this just dramatic stance of power... It looks good like a power stance, but they are frozen in fear. From the front, they still look intimidating and scary, but the back is just drenched in sweat. So I need you to roll me a green and a yellow versus one purple with a blue die because they're aiming. Oh dear. Three successes. Ow. Uh, how much damage does your rifle do, Cassidy? Oh, the snipe rifle? Nine. Okay, this isn't that nice of a rifle. This only does eight. Plus three successes is 11 damage minus your soak of three. So that's eight damage coming at you, Monet. Okay. So you're not down. You're still alive. Oh, it's absolutely movie scene. They have their arms raised out and with the coat flaps of their already gunshot riddled, beautiful tweed jacket, they'd remain in that position and that just made them the perfect target. So when the bullets fire out, their body shakes with the impact until they're eventually knocked back through the back of the threshold and probably on top of Cassidy. Do you catch me? Monet stumbles back and Cassidy reflexively has to she passes the gun over to one hand to her hand more behind the door like a left hand and then catches Monet 
stumbling back with her right hand, basically redirects them and grabs them and then slings them around behind them so that Monet is now in cover, but there's only one second of not watching this doorway where she makes sure that they're safely down, but there's not a status check. Monet, you can't help but be reminded of ballroom dancing with a very competent partner as you are spun out of the way. I feel like I'm in very strong, capable hands as their hands touch me and I feel those calluses. Wow, this is a good person. Cassidy is basically wearing a nice ballroom dress. Like for that moment, it's that scene. And then the blood stains on everything are revealed. <laughs> it pauses slightly. The background shifts to a beautiful marble floor with sparkling lights. There's a really nice marble print case in the background just for the camera to get that shot. And up next is a PC slot. There's two guys left. There's the shotgun and the rifle. Yep. Mutton Mike and Rifle Boy. So Rifle Boy is still in cover. Mutton Mike is not. Yeah, he's crouched by something, but he's not mechanically in cover. Okay, then yeah, so Cassidy's just gonna aim and shoot at Mutt Mike, seeing that he's now the most accessible target and knowing that Emma's in the room with him. The rifle's a little bit unwieldy that close, but the shotgun maybe. I mean, Cassidy can see it's a bomb. She doesn't know any of the details of it, but shotguns are used for home defense because they don't overpenetrate things because it's just a bunch of pellets instead of one big thing. So maybe this guy would be foolhardy enough to try that shot and that's emma is her one person left here so she goes for the shotgun guy all right take your shot so same pool as last time a success how much damage is that so seven pierce two and then i am going to how many story points do we have left two Okay, yeah, so I'm going to spend a story point on my Lucky Strike ability, which lets me add my agility to a successful hit, so I'm going to add four on top of that total. Oh, wow, it's really lucky you did that. He was not going to go down, and now he does. I don't think you kill him, but he's out of the fight with where you hit him, so... So what made it my Lucky Strike? I think you actually hit him in the hands and jack up his hands so bad that he's in shock and he can't hold a weapon. So it clips his trigger hand and then hits him on the shoulder. So he's down and he's not going to be shooting anytime soon. Yeah. And so he's down yelling and clutching at his wrist. His hand is not going to be useful anytime soon. And that just leaves the rifle guy and another PC slot. Okay, so Monet is trying to get their bearings again. With the shock setting in, they haven't really fully absorbed that they were shot. And you see them reach into the left side of their tweed jacket and pull out the thinnest, thinnest knitting needles you've ever seen. Almost impossibly so. They just catch the light every now and then and twinkle ever so slightly, but you know they are sharp. And they, you know that thing, it's very like Gambit from X-Men where he pockets the cards and whips them back out of his sleeves. So they're kind of doing that movement as they stumble back into this luggage room. They see Emma so close to disarming that bomb. Mutton Mike with his hands mangled and his shoulder bleeding. Their bodies all across the ground and the train is still shaking ever so slightly, creating that slightly natural and unnatural vibrations that remind you that you're still in a train. And with a deep breath, oh wow, okay. 
Today has been a day, hasn't it? You, you there, with the rifle, yeah. What was your... I've seen you around before. Ah, uh, yeah. Ignatius. That's you, isn't it? Good old Iggy. What the hell are you doing here? I owed Mutt and Mike some money. Okay, well, Mutt and Mike can no longer count money because he has no hands. This is a good point. Mm-hmm. This is a very good point. You want to just leave your rifle there and get the heck out of here? I don't care if you jump off the train. I don't care if you disconnect. One of your really, really kind of cool bikes. But we have a bomb to disarm, and um, I I'd rather you not be around. Roll me a charm check. All right. Um, Two yellow and green. This is going to be an average check but you can have two blue die. Plus the other two blue die, because this is a social check. Is it a good or a bad thing that this rifle guy was the one that shot Monet? Mmm. To just have it get totally no-selled, because Monet's still in shock? Um, um, six successes and two advantages. Yeah, when you said throw your rifle down and get out of here, you could tell he was going to want to bargain to keep his rifle because that's his whole career. But thinking about it, looking around, you hear the clatter of a gun hitting the ground and sliding away and a groan as it looks like Ignatius spiked the rifle off of Mutt and Mike in his haste. And he takes his coat off so that you can see that he's just wearing his shirt sleeves and doesn't have any other weapons. He has his hands up and he starts walking towards Cassidy and Monet, and it says, all right, yeah, uh, fuck Mutt and Mike, fuck this plan, I'm getting out of here. Take off those colors as well, they look terrible on you. Yeah, you're right, you know, it, he pulls the handkerchief off and throws it down, and then starts taking his loafers off and hopping up and down on one foot, trying to get the matching socks off. Ed is throwing those on the ground. As he's walking past you, and you could see him stomping back into his loafers. Like, you know what? Screw this group. Screw this hiring. Screw everything. I am so done. I'm going to just go to the back of the train and hope when that bomb goes off that I can stay in one piece. Y'all have fun. Please don't shoot me. And he starts inching past you all. Bye, Iggy. And he starts running and then makes eye contact with Modem, who's still hiding behind the luggage. He's like, who the fuck are you? And Modem's like, I am Modem. I And he's like, okay, cool. And just keeps going <laughs> and runs to the back of the train. Yeah, I don't think that Cassidy would let him go by because he says he's going to go to the back of the train and their stuff is at the back of the train. So he gets up to Modem, who starts giving the thing, and Cassidy just basically clears her throat at this guy and he's in an obedient frame of mind right now because Monet's very persuasive so I think he turns around and just sees Cassidy looking down the barrel of this gun at him and she goes no I don't think you're gonna get to go to the back of the train you're gonna have a front row seat while we disarm the bomb and just gestures to an empty spot, probably an empty spot in the luggage rack where he has to sit in a ball on it to keep him from being mobile. Hey, Cameron, roll me a story die, would you? One misfortune dot. He sticks his tongue into his cheek, looks at you, looks at Modem, inches backwards a step, and then jumps off the train in between the two cars. <laughs> you hear a yell that's very quickly drowned out by the wind. 
and you have the car to yourself. Everybody is either unconscious or bleeding and in a lot of pain. Cassidy blinks and then goes to join Emma in the front car to see what she can do to help. As soon as Ignatius passed Emma, she was around the other side of this bomb and was starting to look at it. Modem, after seeing this guy jump off the train, hurries up and says, there appears to be a bomb. Good observation. Wow, Modem. I am here to offer my assistance. Although explosives are not the focus of my knowledge, I do have some. Um, Modem, it's not that I trust you. It's just Emma looks like she's a little bit more capable at disarming things. Have you seen her open up a locked door? Like, legit locked door. I just think the dexterity that she provides is a little bit more than your theory. He looks very contemplative and, like, strokes his beard and says, You're right. Mm-hmm. Emma is a very intelligent woman, and I would only offer my help in this instance. I have absolute faith in her. Oh, I thought you were going to say you have absolutely nothing to offer. But having faith in her is good, too. Good, good, good job. He frowns and opens his mouth like he's going to argue with you and you just talk over him and he just resolves into silence. OK, Emma, you got this. Cassidy, have you have you ever seen her disarm a bomb? I'm sure this isn't like your first <laughs> bomb disarming, right? Uh, it'll totally be fine. Just trust the hot hand. What? Uh, uh, yeah, that. Emma has her little tool set back out. Has been looking through, lifting up wires, seeing where things connect. And the amount of sweat coming from stress that has been happening. Really, since she first took off with the bat into this train car, it's increasing the more that these people around her talk. Cassidy sees it a little bit and just goes off to start checking on the rifle that that guy dropped and make sure that Mutt and Mike is not in a spot where he can do anything to interfere here. Yeah, he's not really sensical, but you busy yourself. Do you bind up his arms so that he doesn't bleed out? Yeah, tie his arms, probably just like roll him on his stomach and hog tie him. Just the quickest, easiest way. She does have to move the tie down the wrists a little bit because he doesn't have a good anchor point. But it's also serving as a tourniquet. Yeah. So, Emma... I need you to roll to disarm this bomb. You can see that there's a minute on the timer. It's been beeping down regularly. It seems straightforward. It should be simple. Unless, what if they made it that simple so that people would underestimate it if they were trying to disarm it? Looking at it, just knowing how things should be attached to make the power move through it and able to actually make this bomb explode. Emma quickly identifies where she thinks should be the cut to just disconnect that current so that nothing's going to make it actually to explode. But then starts being like, wait, that seems way too simple. It can't be that because I wouldn't have noticed that immediately. But it, what, what else would it be? And is looking at all of the other things that she passed over to get to that particular spot. It's like, oh, I'm, I, uh, I don't know how this could. It looks very studious from everyone watching her. She's like, yeah, she's just really trying to figure out how this bomb works. But inside her head, she's like, surely it can't. No, it has to be more complicated than this. It's a bomb. 
Um, not not to pressure you there, but um, <clears throat> that timer is really counting down, and uh, I thought we would have this resolved by now. I do have a midnight tea party to attend. You're all welcome, but let's assuming we survive. Emma just starts nodding as you're talking. It's pretty obvious that she's not really comprehending what you're saying. She's like, yes, voices are occurring. And then we get the dramatic shot of she's looked over everything on this bomb and it has to be that first spot she saw. So the dramatic shot of the little tiny baby pair of scissors going towards the wire and then hovering over it and then snipping it. And what am I rolling for this mechanics check? It's going to be hard difficulty. You can have two blue die for having taken your time and analyzed it. What do I get for my triumph that this is a really easy bomb? Okay, it'll be average difficulty. Yep, and I'm going to flip a story point. (laughs) Two successes, five advantages. We see these little scissors inching towards the wire. It should be so obvious, but that's what you worry about. And you almost hear a voice in the back of your head telling you, Sometimes the simplest solution is actually the solution. And you snip the wire, and the timer stops. End of episode. Commencing end credits. The following information will be placed in the show notes for your added convenience. This has been A Night of Shreds and Patches an actual play podcast using the Genesis game system from Fantasy Flight Games. The show is edited by Sydney Whittington and features the talents of B. Zelda as Professor Jupiter. B. Your non-binary busy B can be found on Twitter at B underscore Zelda. They are a podcaster, a member of The Broadswords, the host of Anime Attaché, and a player on the Power Play podcast. They are a Twitch streamer. They have co-produced their own show on Roll20 called Indie Showcase. They host Tabletop Otaku for Origins Game Fair. And they are the community manager for D&D Adventurers League. Sydney Whittington as Cassidy. Sydney can be found on our Discord server, which is linked in the show notes, and on Twitter at Sydney underscore Wit. Cameron Robertson as Emma. Cameron can be found on Twitter at MidnightMusic13 and on Instagram at Reading underscore and underscore Dreaming. Cameron is also a player on Tabletop Squadron, a Star Wars Edge of the Empire actual play podcast, and Nick Robertson as Narrator. Nick can be found on Twitter at Alias58. Nick is also the GM for Tabletop Squadron which you can support at patreon.com slash tabletop squadron. This podcast features the musical talents of Dora Violet and Arnie Parrott. You can find Dora at facebook.com slash Dora Violet. You can find Arnie at atptunes.com. The official artwork for this podcast was created by Rashid Aldroka, who can be found on Instagram and ArtStation at RashidJRS. You can follow the Patina on Twitter at Akosap underscore podcast, or visit the website www.akosap.com. Until next time. 
audio offline.